Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. We've got a crew today. This is J.J. Cooper joined by Matt Eddy, Josh Norris, and Teddy Cahill. We're going to do a four-person podcast because we got four teams we're going to analyze at some point. Obviously, the Braves made a big trade last night, trading Anderson Simmons to the Angels, getting back the two top prospects in the Angels organization. We're going to give you a full Angels top 30 today. No, we're not doing that. That would not be fun right now. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty thin list. We're going to have to work hard for that, thir- that top 30. Hey, they got a great shortstop back for it defensively. But, uh, but we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the teams that are rebuilding. We're going to talk about the Braves rebuilding project, the Reds rebuilding project, the Brewers rebuilding project, and the Phillies rebuilding project. So we do want to remind you before we do that, though, that it is book season here at Baseball America. We have just wrapped up, or just are wrapping up, I should say, the Baseball America 2016 Almanac. It is the book that you will use for years to come because you you pick it up and it's got everything in there. Everything that happened, it is the chronicle of what happened in baseball in 2015. We have, you know, everything from winter ball, you know, in the Caribbean series from last early 2016 through the Japan series and Korean series and all that as well. So check that out. Go to baseballamerica.com store to get your copy of the 2016 Almanac. And yes, not too far down the road, we got the calendar coming. And we also have, as we're all working on, the prospect handbook. But that's coming. We already are in as you go to baseballamerica.com right now. It's a great time to subscribe because we also are rolling out the top 10s. We've already rolled out the Braves top 10. If we were redoing the Braves top 10, we have two new guys to add to that list. Probably add. I don't know. Chris Ellis, that's tough. Back into that list probably because it's a pretty deep list. I but think he makes it. I think he, you're, you're talking about he's comparing him to like Braxton Davidson and guys like that. He probably makes it. But we have the trade that happened last night. Trade that seemed to, if you look at Twitter, it angered Angels fans who were not happy about trading away Sean Newcomb. I guess maybe Eric Ivar, but probably Sean Newcomb. And Chris Ellis. They were not happy about that either. And then you had Braves fans who were very unhappy to see their team trade away Anderson Simmons, which I understand from the standpoint of if you're a paying, buying a ticket to a Braves game in 2016, Anderson Simmons was probably the best argument for, man, I'm going to have a fun time here at the game tonight. If you are a Braves fan and you want to go see a brand of baseball that is very good, Go see Gwinnett. Gwinnett's going to be really unless good. Just down big, the street. Unless you're a big fan of Freddie Freeman and you can't live without seeing Freddie Freeman every three innings or so, go see Gwinnett. Gwinnett will be a very interesting team this year. Some of those guys will make it to the big leagues at some point as well. But we started this podcast because we were actually all gathered around out in the Baseball America offices talking about this and then realized, well, we probably should just make it into a podcast. But Matt, you as you look at this trade, Simmons going to the Angels for uh, Newcomb, Ellis, and Ibar. And Jose Braceno, we should mention, going back as well to the, uh, to the Angels, a, a catching prospect who has a strong arm and has shown power in a hitter's park in Asheville and then, to put it kindly, fell apart in high A uh, this although, year. Although on Twitter, like most of the national writers who got quotes about Braceno just straight NP'd him. So, <laughs> yeah, and that's a li- I think that's a little strong because he is a young catcher with a strong arm and has shown some power potential. Like... I mean, I expect catchers take longer to develop. So I mean, he's not a great prospect, but he was a top 30 guy last year. I, I'm not ready to write him off after one really bad year. But what do you see the trade, Matt? Uh, I liked it from the Braves' perspective. Like, if you wanted to be optimistic, uh, Newcomb is the best prospect in the system, probably, and the best prospect they've acquired in a trade. And realistically, down the road, you know, he's probably their number three starter. And uh, Ellis has probably fits best in the bullpen, probably. Could, could factor in a late inning relief role. Or could be a back-end starter. Could but be. It's going to be hard to see him breaking into a back-end starter role in that organization because it's going to be fighting just to get starts. Yeah, that's possible. But uh, and Simmons has probably already peaked defensively and has not developed offensively. 
really any sort of identity. Even the other glove first shortstops in the game, Escobar has speed. Brandon Crawford Brandon has Crawford developed has into nice a much power. better offensive player. Simmons, besides the one power spike a few years ago, has no such identity yeah, offensively. Simmons had what? Uh, Simmons, uh, Crawford had 21 bombs last year, I think. Mm-hmm. That's, that's better than so Simmons I, had that one year 17, and yeah. then it's gone back away seven, and then I think three last year. So I completely understand why they traded Simmons, and this is probably the best offer they could reasonably get. Teddy, what do, what do you think? Uh, when uh, my, my initial thought when the trade happened was that, that Newcomb was the best pitching prospect that, that the Braves had acquired in their um, you know several several trades they've made in the last year and obviously most of those have targeted pitching you know guys like Van Wellos and, and Whistler and Freed uh, and now I guess I'm willing to upgrade that to the best prospect period that they've acquired. Yeah, he's he is Sean Newcomb's got to be the the number one in that system. I think we were having trouble finding a number mm-hmm. one prospect for them because uh, Oliveira is, is such a strange prospect um, being that he's already over 30 years old. And um, and now moving to left field, it looks like. Right, yeah, leaving, leaving the interview. Takes a hit. Um, and, you know, some people might say, well, what about Colby Allard? And, you know, yeah, but Newcomb's uh, closer to the big leagues, doesn't have the back injury history. So, you know, it, it's a... It's an important piece for them to, to gather, you know. Even even though they have all this pitching, it you know that's still a that's still a big piece. And the other part of this is is that when I know some Braves fans probably say, why not Ozzy Albies is number one, which Albies is a good prospect, but there is a limit to how much impact that guy can have. I mean, you really what you're hoping he could be a very good player, but he is a solid defensive shortstop, really good feel for the bat. You're Power is never going to be part of his game. He, he, he's just simply too small for power to be part of his game. And while speed will be a part of his game, it's probably not the kind of guy who's going to have whose speed is going to make a massive impact at the big league level. I would say. I, I think also that Newcomb is a safer prospect. Yeah, he walked four or five guys per nine this year, and that's disconcerting and everything. But you know, he is a guy that spent significant time at Double A. Uh, you know that that you can feel pretty good about being in the big leagues quickly. Whereas Albie's, you know, I know uh, John Coppolella said that you know he didn't want to put it on him, but that Albie's could could potentially play in Atlanta in 2016. But I mean, realistically, Ozzy Albie's needs significantly more development time uh, than than Sean Newcomb would. You would think. Yes, I mean Ozzy Albie's played last year in Low A. Even if you're aggressive, and the, we were talking about it out there, the Braves have been very aggressive. They've moved. Angleton so, Simmons moved ex- incredibly quickly. I mean, uh, you know that that spring training when it, everyone became aware of who he was and everything. I mean, that was coming off of a year where he was in Lynchburg. He spent, I guess, like it was six weeks probably in Double A, and then all of a sudden he was he was in the big leagues. And rewind further back, Rafael Furcal, who I watched in Macon many years ago, he went to High A and basically went from High A to being the brave starting shortstop then being arrested for underage drinking when he actually was not underage, which is one of my favorite stories of all time. Like that that's commitment to the bit. I'm not I will take I will take the penalty rather than explain, no, no, actually I'm twenty-two. I, I gotta give uh, Raphael for call credit. He was like, No, 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 I'm not selling this out. And then later we find out, oh, he actually no, he was he was perfectly legal age. He just wasn't going to admit that he wasn't of uh, a 19-year-old. So his legitimate ID was also a fake ID. Yes, it's, yes. It's, 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 you could go into many cycles there. But it, it is, though, something where, before we go into all these rebuilding projects, the fascinating part with the Braves here is, is that the Braves now have Simmons and Freeman were their position player cornerstones. If you are very optimistic, you can throw Nick Markakis in there, who they have under contract for a few more years. But... At this point, I think we all would say that Marcakis is a complimentary player. At well, yeah, best. and he wasn't—he was not a homegrown guy like Freeman and Right. He's just a guy they bought and put out there. You can't call that guy a cornerstone. No, I'm saying, but I'm talking about though that guys you say, okay, the lineup is built around you, these you guys. Go, a guy you want to go to the park to see? I'm not even saying that. I'm saying like guys that are going to really help you win games, position player wise. Simmons does it defensively. Freeman does it in a lot of ways. But the interesting part of this is is that the clock is ticking. The stadium arrives next 2017. I will ask, I'll, I'll throw it to you first, Matt, you know, and then to Josh, which is, do you see a scenario in which this Braves team, it all comes together 
to contend. I'm not even saying win a title or anything like that, but to be in contention into September in 2017. Well, if they land a couple college bats, their high picks in the draft, they're they picked number three this year. <laughs> and if and if Reed and Newcomb reach their ceilings very quickly, probably if Tehran is still there. Uh, Fulton Lewis takes I mean, a step forward. They, they exchange quickly in baseball. You you would, you know, we had a number of breakthrough teams this year, all predicated on on pitching staffs coming through, uh, the Astros and Mets in particular. Yeah, I don't see it as particularly likely, but not impossible. Not let's, impossible. Let's go to Teddy here real quick. He made a good point of getting a college bat in the draft and having him accelerate and you know get there quickly. Who would be some guys that they would target if you want to go that model? Well, I don't think the Braves will go that model to preface this because never in Atlanta's history of drafting have they gone that model. Uh, so I would not expect that to change based on the needs of the big league club. Having said that, your advanced college bats in this class are outfielders like Louisville, Louisville's Corey Ray, Florida's Buddy Reed, uh, Tennessee third baseman Nick Senzel uh, is in that category. Um, if you really like uh, Texas A&M outfielder Nick Banks, uh, maybe him. And uh, staying locally, um, Mercer outfielder Kyle Lewis, probably ahead of Nick Banks even. Um, but you know, to, to think that the Braves would go that route is... Um, Unlikely. The Braves have been traditionally a team that, you know, when, when you look at the, the, the Braves drafts, the strong Braves drafts, the ones that are involving Roy Clark and now Brian Bridges, they're often pitch and dominated, which we saw again this spring. Mm-hmm. They often are local dominated, which we didn't quite see this spring, um, but, you know, and that, that, that can come and go. Um, so, there's a lot of good pitching at the top of this draft class. Better pitching at the top of this class. And, I mean, you're going to see them take another pitcher at third Not, overall. Unless, I mean, there's a lot of time between now and June, but you're going to see them take another pitcher. And picking number three in a draft that right now has four pitchers who kind of stand at a, at a pretty high level, really probably four pitchers who probably stand right now ahead of arguably any position player in this draft. It, for a team that likes to draft pitching, it'll it it fits, it fits nicely there. Yeah, it, it it just seems very unlikely. Now, I I think that there is a scenario in which they contend in 2017. You know, like Matt alluded to, you know, breakthrough tre- breakthrough teams happen this year, and it's baseball and things change quickly. And you know, the Braves do have some pieces. Um, there is they've shown financial flexibility within the last year. You know, taking on Bronson Arroyo to get Tuki Toussaint. Um, you know, there, there are there are possibilities. Uh, the division, like we mentioned before, is not it, you know it, it's not one of the elite divisions in baseball right now. Uh, I, I think it's possible. Is it particularly likely? You know, I, I don't know, but I don't know that it ever was. You know, even if even if you put Simmons back on this team, you know, I, I don't that. know. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a very 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 good defensive player. He's the best defensive player in the game, and. It's at a difficult-to-find position, but at the same time, you're still dealing with all of the same lineup concerns. You know, where, where, is, where is the bat coming from outside of Freddie Freeman? And the other part I do want to touch on that you brought up, Matt, which is, is that there, is, uh, there are a lot of teams, and there's been research on this. When we think of hitters, we think of kind of the prime of a hitter's career being like that age 27, 28 season. Done always, obviously, some guys it comes earlier. In few cases, it comes later, but that's really kind of the peak. There is a, a pretty, I wouldn't say overriding, but a very largely held belief that when it comes to the defense, that peak comes earlier. 25 may be that point. Like Anderson Simmons may be already kind of on the very slow decline defensively. Now, that doesn't mean Anderson Simmons is good enough defensively that the slow decline means that he will become an average shortstop sometime probably in his early to mid-30s. Because you do, as the tools in this go down, you also continue to have a, a, you, intelligence of playing. It keeps going up. Mm-hmm. So it is, it, it's a very slow decline. But it is a decline that he may already be in the, in the part of. And I think that is an interesting part to think of with this trade. They may be looking at this and saying, mm-hmm. a year from now, defensive metrics – 
especially now for teams who have an un, unfathomable amount of data now, now that they have a year of StatCast that they are trying and all are trying to sort through, there may be the concern that a year from now, the bat will still be the same bat. The contract will be three more million dollars the next year than it was that year. Right. And with StatCast, you may go, oh, his numbers this year, his first step is a tick slower than it was last year. His range is a little bit lower where he's a guy in decline and, and what, he may have less value. And what is the reasonable return for, for an all-glove shortstop who's committed that X amount of dollars for the next three years? I, I would say... I would say he, he signed to 2020. Okay, so is the 25 to 35 prospect in baseball? Seems like a pretty fair return to me. That's... I, I think the, one of the problems is, is that the... the Things that were floated out the day before were the Braves are talking to the Mets and they said they want one of the Mets' core four for Amson Simmons. And they were never going to get one of the core four for Amson Simmons. But understandably, if you're a Braves fan and you thought that right. you, for a day you if thought. You're, if you're prefacing it with Harvey and DeGrom and then you end up with Newcomb, I can see how that would be disappointing. That would be. But I, one thing I did want before we get off this with Newcomb, you brought it up with the walk rate. One thing I do wonder with that is, is that Newcomb did walk too many guys this year. There are. Control issues he has to work through. So did Ellis. So did Ellis. Yeah. Ellis walked four, Newcomb walked five per nine. That being said, Newcomb also, those control problems got worse as he climbed the ladder, and he climbed the ladder extremely quickly this year. He started the year in low A, he jumped to high A, then he jumped to double A. A guy who started the year in the Midwest League ended up in the Texas League for a good chunk of the end of the season. That is a very quick ascent. And that is a thing where if you tell me a guy is going to have some more control troubles who started the year in low A and ended in double A, you have to make an adjustment. Double A, well, what, what worked for you, that breaking ball you threw that was chased for strike three is often not chased. And all of a sudden you find, wait a second, now I'm in three. You know, I thought I'll get 2-2 and I threw the perfect pitch. Well, now it's 3-2 and you end up walking the guy. And is there a prospect left-hander with a better strikeout rate? I don't, I, I don't think there is. I don't think there is. Right. Is, is Urias up there? Okay, Urias. Urias has a better combination of control and edit. His, age. his rate might be out of control this year. But, but Urias is, a, and Urias we'd all agree is a, Urias is in that elite, elite group of pitching prospects. Newcomb is in that next group. Mm-hmm. That leads into nicely into this question, which is, is Josh, I haven't come to you first. So I'm going to come to you first. We talked about the four teams. Phillies, Braves, Reds, Brewers. These are four teams that are in the middle of rebuilding. I, again, I'm, we're leaving some teams out, but these are the four that we're all talking about that I think we could fairly say all four of them's farm systems are significantly better right now than they were at the start of the offseason last year. Which one of those do you think is closest to contending? Jeez, I, I'm going to stay home with my the team that I cover a lot uh, is, is the Phillies. Um, they got so much better in their farm system this year. <clears throat> they went from a, what we had them like eighteen or twenty in, in the farm in the uh, the organizational rankings. This I year. will have that answer for you. While <laughs> if you go from the prospect handbook rankings, we had them twenty two, okay. and the prospect handbook rankings, and that's coming off of being twenty two in 2014, 23 in twenty thirteen, and twenty seven in twenty twelve. So a long stretch. Green. Yeah, and now they don't have Larry. they don't have Aaron Nola anymore. Um, or Michael or, Franco. Or Michael Franco. But they jumped this year. They made that Cole Hamels trade, and they look like they did a really, really good job with pieces that are primarily at the upper levels. Uh, with Al- Alfaro is going to be in Double A this year, uh, or and maybe Triple A at some point because he's already had some time. You know. Yeah, you know. yeah. I think you probably want to work them. You, you might keep them apart because you want to have Nap and him separate. True. Um, you got Nick Williams who's going to be at one of those two levels, and you got Jake Thompson who's going to be at one of those two levels. Those guys are going to come quick. And they all have impact potential. Even if Alfaro is going to be impacting in right field, and plus they got a, a mid rotation piece. They got in and Matt Harrison, and they got back of the rotation piece who looked very good in Jared Eichhoff. They made they remade their rotation and their farm system in one swoop, and they've graduated Nola and uh, Franco who look very much like uh, above average players, if not all stars. The thing I love about them is is they also have. The elite cornerstone type prospect. Yeah, J.P. Crawford. I J.P. Crawford. J.P. Crawford. J.P. Crawford's better than any prospect that the Braves have in their system right now. J.P. Crawford's better than any prospect that the Reds have in their system right now. J.P. Crawford, 
He's better than any prospect you have in any system that's not named the Dodgers or the Twins. He's probably I was going to say, now, J.P. Crawford, no okay, hold on. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that. <laughs> Actually, we're going to put him at number three on our, li- on our top 50. I don't right? know about that. I forgot about him. Yes, Giolito. But J.P. Crawford versus Orlando Arcia, is there yeah. a massive... I was going to say, that's I, an actually... I don't know that that's definitive. I'll, I'll go to you. So, Teddy, what do you think? Who's the team that's... I mean, the Phillies are the easy answer because they're going to spend the most money, right? I mean, the Reds and the Brewers are, are small market, and the... Uh, Braves have corporate ownership who have kept the payroll pretty stagnant for you know, and going on a decade. And they also have a sweetheart deal to like right, they were going to lock in this TV there's contract. No, there's no TV. There's no additional for... TV money coming in. Like they're, they're, the stadium is supposed to supply the is supposed to be the new money, and, and now they're maybe going to sell shares. We'll see how that uh, yeah, how profitable weird. that is. By the way, okay, well, since you know enough about this, I'll also ask you prediction: pedestrian bridge to the stadium ever built or built by 2020? Oh, uh, wow. Um, will the pedestrians have to build the bridge themselves? Well, that if that happens, that won't happen. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think they'll get it done. I, I feel confident that the Braves will uh, will make that happen. It has to happen for I that mean, it, it really to needs work. to, and, uh, you know, they know that. Um, I, I don't know if it'll be, you know, it won't be done on opening day in 2017, <laughs> but I, I think... I think within a year they're they're gonna understand how how necessary that that is. I, I just envision a Braves twenty seventeen like Biloxi mm-hmm. where they just start the year you know with a thirty game hundred no, stop. <laughs> <laughs> but so I mean when you look at it though okay you know if you think the Phillies because again they're gonna spend money, which rebuilding pro- process are you really impressed with you know what they're doing right now? Um, well, I think the Brewers are too early for us to really, you know, say, say and the Reds both. I mean, they're they're both very much starting. The Reds even more so than the Brewers. The Brewers got a, a bit of a jump start in, in July, making that trade with the Astros. Um, but you know, at, at this point, I you know the the totality of what the Braves has done has been impressive. Um, you know, just how much they've cleared out. Like, yes, the the Phillies uh, trade uh, with, with Cole Hamels especially was, was impressive. Um, you know, but the the Rollins trade and the Utley trade were, were much more minor. I think the the Braves have done nothing but make trades for a year, and you know they acquired draft picks, and so it was an exciting draft. And um, you know they they've been creative. They they found a way to get Tukey out of Arizona for nothing essentially, um, just the the cost of Bronson Arroyo's contract and you know Phil Goslin, who's a nice utility infielder. Um, and they found a way to offload B.J. Upton, or sorry, Melvin Upton. Um, you know, I, the just the, the the sheer totality of it. The Ross Munger Dan Douglas contract. Yeah, they they yeah. That, well, no, they they just straight cut him. Yeah, they? the same thing. I think it's. Oh, is it now over? It finally expired. <laughs> I, I think it finally is. <laughs> The Dan Ugla era is officially over. You know, you now the Bobby Bonilla era continues. Mm-hmm. In, uh, but the Jason Bay and Johan Santana. <laughs> <laughs> Is, is By the way, that's the way to do it. If you're an agent, that's the way to do it for your team, for your player. I mean, if I'm Bobby Bonilla, that's the best deal that anyone's ever made. That's what I was gonna say. Is that the best deal in history? Uh, for the player, absolutely. It's not, it's not gonna be the most valuable deal in history, but to <laughs> to give yourself financial income like that for the next however many years till when? I don't know. The the uh, I do like the uh, the Braves and Reds models the best because they're focused on pitching, and I think. It's acquiring pitching on the free agent market is obviously so much riskier than acquiring hitting talent. You know, I would I would rather build from a base of having ten starting prospects than having ten position prospects probably. The 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 one thing though that is tough is nowadays, and we see this, this is this is as good a free agent market probably as we've seen in several years. Excuse me, but that being said. It still is the case that nowadays there are very few big ticket. I mean, you know, and there's money everywhere, admittedly. There's money everywhere in the game now. But if you go out and sign a big ticket free agent, those often, I mean, those are almost always now dangerous deals. Those are deals where you go, yes, at some point this is really going to hurt. And that's where it is interesting. The currency lately has been pitching prospects much more than position prospects. I think part of that is is that when we got to the deadline this past year, there aren't many position prospects to be had. Think of the think of the, the way the Blue Jays did it. That's the the exact opposite. They dealt all of their pitching prospects mm-hmm. in exchange for some big bats. 
Not all. Sean Reed Foley is and still... And Connor Green, yes. <laughs> well, most of them. Most of John them. John Harris. Yes, John Harris. <laughs> they but couldn't trade him. No, they, they couldn't make part of a No. Six months. Couldn't have traded him. A PTBN. <laughs> but, uh, but they did... But you, you look at it, and it is something where teams have seen now. Yes, the currency is, is that if you want to, especially at the deadline, acquire position players, and you've got pitchers in the minors, yeah, that will... And again, look at the look at the Royals. The Royals went out there. They they traded position. I mean, they didn't trade a position player to make to right. acquire Zobrist or Cueto. They traded five pitchers. You said it with the Blue Jays. But the they Blue did Jays. trade Will Myers to get James Shields. They did. And Wade Davis. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's like they cried Wade Davis and James Shields. But if you zero in on this season, right? I mean, the Mets traded Fulmer, Michael Fulmer, to get Cespedes. Royals traded Manaya to get Zobrist, right? Mm-hmm. And Fulmer and Manaya are. Probably oh, top 50 guys. Yeah. I don't know that we're seeing a trend yet. Like, I'll, I, you know, I, I don't think we, especially with what we expect the Red Sox to do this offseason, the Red Sox are a team that, will flip it. that are heavy on position players and need pitching, and Dave Dombrowski is most likely going to trade position players to acquire pitching. We did not include them in this because that would be putting a thumb on the scale. If you ask me which rebuilding process, which even hasn't really even happened, is going to turn around nicely very quickly. I do think that the Red Sox, because the Red Sox have, the Red Sox have position players that they can trade that will acquire significant talent in return. And in the Red Sox case, there are cases where they won't miss the guy they're trading because they don't have a room for him. And the Dodgers also traded pitch or hitters to acquire pitching. Uh, you know, Alex Wood uh, and was the the return. Uh, you know, Hector Oliveira. Went went to Atlanta for Alex Wood and Jose Peraz was in that trade too, but um, you know they were they were mostly trying to get the pitching there. It seemed like, and you know the Chase Utley deal, it's you know there's a lot in that deal, but Nick Williams may be the best player in that in that trade. It is interesting though if you look at the Braves rebuilding process, that's the trade that's going to be fascinating to see what happens because obviously they need Oliveira to be a significant middle-of-the-lineup bat in 2016 going forward. Because especially right now, when you look at this, now that Anderson Simmons is gone, I know they got Ozzie Albies coming up, but Peraza, again, Peraza is not a top-10 prospect in the game. There's a limit to how much impact he can have. That being said, a middle infield of Peraza and Albies for the Braves going forward would look probably a good bit better than a middle infield of eventually Albies and Jace Peterson which is what they're looking at right now. Oliveira needs to be really good. He does. And, you know, I'm having a little bit of trouble figuring out the total, the full strategy behind those two trades. You know, I, and I know that they couldn't have known that they were going to trade Simmons when they traded. Right. Uh, you but know, they may have had an inkling. Right. They, they may have had an idea. But, like, you know, Peraza had been moved off of shortstop, and there are questions about whether he can play shortstop long term. But... If you're going to trade your shortstop and you have a guy in AAA that can potentially play shortstop, not as well certainly, uh, but no one can. I mean that there there, I don't know that 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 was odd at the time, and it remains a little strange. That that trade com- is definitely an outlier. Uh, you know you can see most of the strategy. Uh, you know, similar strategy across the, the, the various trades the Braves have made, that one does not fit the pattern of, of the rest of them. Were they, were they runner-up for Oliveira in, yes. the, in the free agent? They were. I mean, obviously they wanted him a lot, and, um, you know, Alex Wood was a, was a chip they had and, and, and everything. Uh, but, you know, everything else has been about acquiring pitching, um, you know, in, in almost every trade they've made, and that one was not. That was to give away relatively young pitching to get position, and literally their best position prospect at yeah. the time right. to get. Well, I think you can make the same argument with Wood that you could with Simmons. Like he'd already peaked as a major league player, and that is possible. Like there's he always was, he been, was pretty terrible for the Dodgers, and there's always been concerns. The concern with Wood has always been his delivery is very strange, <laughs> and. So. And we, I mean, it's, uh, I, I, don't I bring this them. up, I don't bring this up, like, to make light of it. We unfortunately had the passing of Tommy Hansen this past week. The Braves have had a history of trading players in the past with deliveries that are a little bit, you know, of concern and seeing that trade work out for them. I mean, Tommy Hansen 
that Tommy Hansen was a guy like that. Jar Jurgens was a guy who had a very good peak, a very early peak, and they were quite mm-hmm. happy to trade Jar Jurgens to anyone who wanted him. Do remember, there was a talk at one point that the Royals, like they were saying, they were shopping Jurgens to the Royals. Will Myers? How about Jar Jurgens in this deal? Worked out well for the Royals that they said no to that. But that has happened in multiple cases, um, you know, with the Braves, that they will trade a pitcher. At, although at the same time, you could argue that the Braves right now will trade anyone in year three plus of a contract <laughs> who's not nailed down. I mean, you know, we've had a lot of rumors on Julio Tehran, which is interesting from the standpoint of if you trade Tehran, again, to me, that does seem like you are pushing the window. You have to have some players. No one wins a title where 80% of your team is in year one or year two in the big leagues. Well, the Astros are the model here. I was going to say, yeah, are they going to go into full tank? But the Astros, again, if you say that, though, I mean, like the Astros had a giant climb this year, but a lot of those guys had already, I mean, a lot of those guys are in year two or year three or year four. Altuve is a key part of that team. Altuve's been there now for, what, four? This is year four? Yeah, Jason Castro. Jason uh, Castro's been there for quite a while now. Um, you Keigel's look at, pretty, you know, aggressive, further along. McHugh's older. Like George Springer, too. George Springer had come up the year before. They went out and got Colby Rasmus, who's in the middle of his career. Obviously not that the Braves could do it, something like that. But, Jed Lowry. But really, if you look at the, the Astros, when we say that they got an infusion this year, they did, and they very much did. But Carlos Correa... Vince Velasquez and Lance McCullers were really the, you know, and, and Preston Tucker were the rookies. I mean, that was, they brought up four guys. That's significant. Michael Feliz for an inning I mean, and a half. They brought, they brought, it's easy to just dismiss them as four guys, but they brought up one of the very best prospects in baseball and the potential to be one of the very best players in baseball. Oh, absolutely. But my point being, though, is, is that even doing that, that team had a, a much more established core. You look at, I mean, I wrote about it today at BaseballAmerica.com. We used to, the joke used to be that the Royals were the Brave, Atlanta Braves West. I mean, pretty much, there was a stretch. Matt, you do transactions, you know this. There was a stretch where, when the Royals were very talent bereft, that pretty much anyone, it felt mm-hmm. like, who was released by the Braves, if you were released by the Braves in the minor leagues. Especially if you were in an organization when Dayton Moore was with the Braves. If you were in the <laughs> Braves organization when Dayton was there, yeah. and you were released by the Braves, you didn't have to call your agent. You would just pack up your stuff and say, where's Kansas City sending me? I mean, that was true for a pretty good long stretch. And now with the Braves, it seems to be that the, the Yankees do the same thing with them. Adonis Garcia, uh, Manny Banuelos, Corbin Joseph, Francisco Rondon. I could probably go a little farther, but I don't remember right Which now. Which is interesting because John Coppolello, a while back, but John Coppolello used to be Blakely. in the And Gordon Blakely used to be in the Yankee system, so you do have ties there. And now Kyler McDaniel. But... You, you, you tie it all together, though. You look at it with the uh, with the Royals are an example of a team that built very much through trades and the farm system. But, you know, I, I think that that's a team that tried to basically have them all come up at the same time. Alex Gordon and then traded acquired guys were the only established guys that they were building around besides guys who were basically either developed through the Royals farm system or acquired when they were still not full-grown big leaguers, Lorenzo Cain, Alcides Escobar, guys like that. That being said, those guys arrived in 2012, in most part, a little bit 2013, and it was 20, mid-season of 2013 before they started playing well. It was 2014 before they you know, really kind of arrived. I do think that we're really, I feel like with this Braves team, you're looking at right now, unless you pull off a steal of a trade or something where you get a already established talent or you go big in free agency, which I don't see the Braves doing. This feels like a 2018-2019 ETA more so than... I do think the Phillies are a team, because like you said, the Phillies have some more established talent in some ways almost right now than the Braves do as far as guys who young guys who've already broken in at the big league level. And on top of that, you have that the Phillies can go out there and spend... Now that they're finally out some of these contracts, they can spend some money. Yeah, I was going to say, but when's the last time they did that besides Cliff Lee? Well, I mean, yes, you you can say that, but when was the last time the Cubs spent before they got John Lester? And when was the last time the Cubs spent before they're about to spend And the other part is is that the Phillies, when the Phillies spent, the Phillies spent, they're still, this Um, last year, they finally got out from all the guys that they had, their own guys who they extended. 
Right. We, we're, we're not even out of it because Ryan Howard's still... Yeah, say almost. <laughs> Ryan Howard's still going, but Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, Jimmy Rollins, Roy Howard, they had a lot... Animals, yeah. They, I mean, they picked the first or second best player in the draft like four times in five years in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was an amazing nucleus. And they but what concerns me about together. their rebuild is I don't think they have the pitchers on hand to be competitive. I think they really need to score in the draft next year. Jim, Jim Salisbury wrote about this in the Phillies feature we ran. They... I don't think they have the pitchers in the system right now to be a competitive team. That's going to be tough, especially in that division, because yeah. you were talking about a division. We know what the Mets have. We know what the Braves should have, because right. even with significant attrition, they should have a, a very good pitching staff before and, too long. And the Nationals have and the Nationals. A, good, a good front two right now. Strasburg is free agent after this year. And, and G- you have to Giolito. figure that Giolito arrives at some point in 2016. Well, and Joe Ross. and you know, I mean, the, the Nationals are not hurting for pitching. I do think that I think that the Nationals are the team. You know, we've talked about if you're Twitter, we've got. Okay, I'm gonna have each of you do your so I don't make sure I don't screw it up. Matt, what's your Twitter handle? Matt Eddie, right? Yeah, Matt Eddie B A. Matt Eddie B A. J Norris N O R R I S four two seven. Ted Kale. <laughs> and I'm JJ Coop thirty six. If you go on Twitter, we were talking about this not that long ago. That you know you, you do look at it. I know Dusty Baker is in some ways a controversial hire. I do feel like that that Nationals team, the talent it had last year, I feel like that that is the team that should be significantly better. I know that they're going to have some attrition from that team. You're going to lose Jordan Zimmerman. Right. You're you're going to have some attrition. That being said, I still feel like that that is a team that should be significantly better in 2016 than it was in 2015 because it still has. When we talk about the best player, they've got arguably the best player in the game in the prime of his career in Bryce Harper. Coming off of a monster year. Is it the prime of his career? He's 22. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I, I do think with guys like that, the year he had, if he exceeds that by much more, then we are talking, he's, then he's moving into the bonds with the big headache. You well, know, the, like, the idea of the, the big hair. I, I, don't, I don't know how deeply we want to get into the idea of primes and, and, and when your prime comes, but the idea that your prime is when you're 27 or 28 as a position player anymore is basically dead. Like he probably is in the prime of his career. He probably it has moved he probably came early, of... but he probably is in the prime of his career because what we've seen in the last ten years is that older players like your prime does not extend to your thirties anymore. No. Sorry, Mike Trout. Sorry, Bryce Harper. You're not going to be this good when you're thirty one. It's it, it's over. But not over. It's just I mean, you will just be they one will of the be better very players good. in the game. Sorry, that, that sorry year, Jason Hayward. <laughs> that era, that era is over. They will be very good still. But the 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 era where where you're good into your mid thirties, like you're, where where you're one of the best players in the game, that's that's not coming back. The the thing I would say with that is is that when I say that he's at his peak, is that if you look over history, usually guys get better and better in their young in their early twenties. That is absolutely true. That being said. If you are the best player in the game at age 22, 23, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper type, you maintain that, but it's very hard because there's almost an upper limit to how good you can be in comparison to the rest of the league. Bryce Harper and Mike Trout, I feel like, are kind of at that limit in that they're at the peak of their performance. They're not being, they're, they haven't had an injury that really has diminished that. And they may just keep doing this, for the next five, six, seven, eight years, which would be exceptional. But it is hard to be better than Bryce Harper was this past year. That being said, if the Nationals get the next four years or three years or whatever yeah. it is till Bryce, you know, free agency of Bryce Harper like this, you have the cornerstone to build around. And then it's a matter of, okay, let's fill in the pieces. I mean, the, nat- the Nationals are, are, are plenty well prepared. And, and you know, I mean, that, that's a force to be reckoned with. You know, I, I don't care how disappointing this season was. You know, they still finished, you know, far far and away above the other teams of the division besides the Mets. So I mean, you know, just to just to attain the level that the Nationals had this year, you know, the the Braves and the Phillies have a lot of work to do. And the Marlins. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, if I'm the Marlins right now, this looks really. The really Marlins. The Marlins aren't in a rebuild, and we haven't talked about them because of that. Like they aren't officially in a rebuild, but I I, I don't know what they're in. It's amazing to say, to say that that team stinks, you know, on toast with Giancarlo Stanton and Jose Fernandez. Uh, I mean, both of them have been significantly injured in the last two oh, years. I'm are just are those guys, like, actually those guys anymore? I mean, we don't know that. Sure. I, mean, I was going to say, Jose, he may fight you over that. Uh, he may, I mean, but so I mean, gonna, he's, gonna, he's heard I'm, this before no, from I'm, me. No, I'm going to catch with Stanton. I mean, I thought Stanton was really good this year until he 
But he got hurt again. I mean, he's he got he's missed a lot of time in the last two years. When he wasn't hurt, yeah, but he has injury issues. Which rebuild do you like the best? Did you give your answer earlier? I, I, I I'll let me just talk about the Reds and the Brewers because I do think I think that those rebuilds are both going very well, and I think that the Reds. I mean, we're recording this on a Friday afternoon. I feel like that if you're listening to this on Monday. This may be somewhat outdated because it would not <laughs> shock me if there are if the Reds made more trades like soon. Yeah. Yeah. Those are out there. The uh, Chapman is not going to be a you Reds fans. You have seen Aroldis Chapman mm-hmm. wear your uniform for the last time at least for a long time because he's getting traded. And I'll say this: you trade Aroldis Chapman, you're going to get a nice haul back. And again, I do feel like that that is a team: Todd Frazier, Jay Bruce, Brandon Phillips. If he'll waive the no trade. I mean, Joey, God, Joey Votto, again, if he'd waive the no trade, I wouldn't say that they would not listen to see what could happen. But you look at that team. We talk about the Braves pitching. I like the Reds pitching a lot. They sent a whole lot of starters to the big leagues last year, and we got to sort through some of them. We saw some pretty good highlights by from Rizel Iglesias. Anthony DiSclafini looks like a solid back-of-the-rotation starter. No more than that. Michael Lorenzen had a rough debut. I wouldn't be shocked at all if Michael Lorenzen ended up being the closer for the Reds after Aroldis Chapman leaves. He did that role in, in college. You look at that, and then you look at what's coming up. And again, that's leaving out the multiple more pitchers who came up and had starts in the big leagues last year. But rookies. But you, you look at the, the minor league system. you got Robert Stevenson, Cody Reed. Uh, Amir Garrett. Amir Garrett. Uh, Nick Travieso. John Lamb. Tyler Maley, Sal Romano, guys like John Bosco. Huh? Nick Howard. Nick, Nick <laughs> Howard, you got I would say right now you can't expect anything there. But TJ Antone and guys like that who are a ways away but could be interesting You're a year. Unfortunately named TJ Pitcher. T E J A Y. Hey, I, I say this is a JJ. I, you know, I want mine to be J A Y, lowercase J A Y. That'd be kind of different. But um uh, but you know you've got a lot of those guys. You do have guys like Jesse Winker and Alex Blandino, position player wise, who are at the upper levels of the minors. Should be in the big leagues at some point in 2016, 2017 at the latest. I like that rebuild. And I look at the Brewers, and I say this because the Brewers have been really their farm system has been pretty epically bad ever since they cleared out the Giovanni Gallardo, J.J. Hardy, Ricky Weeks. Ryan Braun group, you know, after that group cleared out, there's been not a whole lot. Well, we started to see, I mean, Taylor Youngman, that was a a shocking reclamation this year. That was a former solid top draft prospect who found himself in year four, year five. You know, in the big leagues after big... struggling in AAA. I mean, Colorado Springs is an impossible place to pitch, right. but he was bad there. And he was bad for years before that. I mean, it was not something where you say, oh, well, that was just a just, blip. Just good enough to be added to the 40-man, though, at AA last yes. year. Jimmy Nelson, who looks like he'll be yeah. a, a solid part of the rotation. You've got guys like that. The, the Brewers, you look at them now, they were 21 last year in the prospect handbook. They were 29th year before that, 22nd year before that, 25th year before that, 30th year before that. In other words, we had not thought that their farm system talent was all that impressive for years. They are an easy top 10 system now. You look at that system right now, it has impact guys at the top with a guy like Orlando Arcia, guys like Brett Phillips, who, as you said, they acquired in the trade. Then you have excellent depth. They took a very high-risk draft two years ago that may pan out. Maybe one of the guys pans out. Maybe no one pans out. But the great thing about it is, is, those aren't prospects number three, four, five in their system where you're clo- holding your, you know, closing your eyes and going, okay, is this going to work out? Which was the case last year. Now, those guys are in the teens, and you say, you know what? If Jacob Gatewood figures it out. Yeah, they're good lottery tickets. Gilbert it's a lottery Lara, ticket. Trent Clark. Tra- I, now, Trent Clark, I'll say, Trent Clark is an impact. I'm, yeah, picking I'm, Trent Clark this year and Cody Ponce, was, uh, th- those were big. And, and signing Gilbert Lara, they're, they're not really on the same level as drafting Jake Gatewood and, and Monty Harrison and Cody Medeiros and, and hoping that those that you hit on those guys. You know, the you feel a lot better about Trent Clark. Trent Clark has a track record of hit. That guy's going to be, that guy's going to be, I would not be surprised at all if that guy is a top 40 prospect. I'll put 40 on it. I don't know why I said 40, but a top 40 <laughs> prospect a year from now. I would not be surprised at all. I, 
I love Trent Clark. I think you love Trent Clark too, Teddy. I, I don't think I love Trent Clark as much as you love. No, Trent Clark. I, I love Trent Clark. I, I really do. Got but a you, great mustache. But you, but you look at it and you say, you know, again, when you talk about the depth of that system, when you talk about the Jorge Lopez's, when you talk about Tyrone Taylor had a terrible yeah, year this Tyler past Wagner. year. But the double A team, Michael was Reed. Yeah. You know, there's a whole lot of guys there where you say you put it all together. Now, again, the problem that the Reds and the Brewers have is they're in a division. The Cubs are going to be a monstrosity because the Cubs have a whole lot of young, big league, cost-controlled talent. And the money truck is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger in Chicago, which was the other part. That's the part of the Theo, the Theo Jed coming to Chicago part that is, I think, sometimes overlooked is that Part of this was them rebuilding through the farm system. The other part of it, it's something that they had experience with in Boston, is taking a team that really was underperforming as far as getting the most out of what the money that was out there to be had. Fenway Park is dramatically a bigger money generator now. Nesson is a bigger money generator now than it was when Theo Epstein took over in Boston back a little over a decade ago. You look in Chicago, the rebuild of Wrigley is halfway through. It's going to be a it's going to be a massively bigger revenue generator going forward there. There's now talks of, you know, the Cubs maybe we need to have our own network. There I can't imagine that won't happen at some point even with the problems we've seen in LA with their network and all that. You do that if the Cubs all of a sudden are a which they by logic, should be a $200-plus-million-a-year payroll-type team. Makes it very hard for a team like Cincinnati, a team like Milwaukee, who is never going to have that kind of resources to compete with a team that's already very well run. That's the rough part of it. Pittsburgh's very well run, but if you're the Reds and Brewers, you can say, we can catch Pittsburgh because, you know what, they don't have any advantages over us. St. Louis... They have advantages, but they're still in a different notch of advantage to what, if Chicago is running well, Chicago is, that's bringing in giant trucks of money. Right, yeah, but the Dodgers and Yankees and Red Sox don't win the division every year either. No, I'm not saying it, it, so, it does not mean that you will absolutely. But it, it, it's a big hill to climb. The best way to put it, though, is, is the Red Sox, Yankees, Dodgers, because of that money, what it means, though, is, is they go in it every year. I know the Red Sox have been terrible Three of the last four years. They won it the other one. <laughs> but they go into every year. There are no rebuilding years there. Because if you have that kind of payroll, the Dodgers will not rebuild over the next decade. Because with that kind of payroll, it's going to be every year. The difference is, is that what makes that difference is that the Cubs should be there every year. And now the Reds, the Brewers are aiming for, the Reds had a window. They did a great job of developing. The Brewers had a window. And then it all petered out. Now they're aiming for their next window. It looks, it, what it does is it makes that division look more like the AL East at its peak yes. when you had, you know, in addition to the Yankees and the Red Sox with their massive payrolls, you had the Rays at a time when everyone considered them to be the smartest team in baseball. And, you know, you're looking at like Toronto as a, you know, a dark horse a lot of those years. And it, it, it makes And then the, Baltimore had that. Right, it, it, ma- it makes the NL Central look look a lot more like that than um, a division that it looked like just a few years ago when it was the Cardinals and then like the Brewers suddenly came on and you know I mean the the Reds it, it was much more competitive. There's a lot more parity in that division. You know, several teams won won division titles, but it was uh, it was parity not because everyone was going crazy together. It, it, it was parity because the Teams were much closer to mediocre in that division. To wrap it up, let's go around. It's an uh, off-the-wall question, but yet, like, which division, if you could pick which division you wanted to compete in, which division would it be? To me, it's the AL Central. That's the yeah, division I mean, that no that's... one has a, a massive, even with Detroit, with having some more resources, but no one, I feel like, has that same kind of massive advantage that there's at least a team in every other division. You mean the division with back-to-back pennant winner? Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean... <laughs> the Tigers I, in 2012? Yeah. yeah. The, yeah, it's, I, I think that's part of it, though, is that it is yeah. easier. Everyone can compete in that division. It's a tough division, but, you know, I mean, there's, unless the White Sox start spending a, a pile of and money always, out of nowhere. But they're not going to have, the, they're never going to have the revenue that the right. Cubs should have. And, uh, you know, the, the Tigers, are, you know, were 
Mike Illich, apparently, there, there was a report, I don't remember where I read it, but that, that he took out a checkbook at, at a meeting with, uh, with the front office lately to, uh, to illustrate how ready he was to, to go after it again. But, you know, I mean, that there are limits there. It's Detroit. <laughs> like, uh, and it, that, is, that, is, that is a team that is being funded by an owner who really wants to win because they do not have massive advantages that, say, like the Dodgers do. No, there, there's nothing that separates Detroit from Minneapolis or Cleveland, you know, in terms of, of adva- market advantages. Okay. If I had to win games in 2016, I'd take the NL East. I would just, I would just want to play <laughs> three-fifths interdivision against the Braves, Phillies, and Marlins. <laughs> I, I said you say the same thing. thing. And with but long-term, long, yeah, probably the same. With, with, I, with yeah. that thought, that, I mean, the Mets are... The beast of that division right now, I guess. Who, who are you waving at? Um, <laughs> but their their stuff is predicated on pitching, and as we know, pitching is a, a pop away from from crumbling under you. The, the thing that's interesting again, we'll wrap this up. But the Mets are going to be an interesting offseason because that's a team that did some very astute moves. I mean, Cespedes really did make a, an impact. Conforto arriving, that's something they can build on for years to come. But they come into the offseason and they can look at it and say. We have some clear needs, too. Especially, they're, they're going to have multiple players that they have to replace because they're probably going to lose them. Mm-hmm. Although, if I'm Daniel Murphy, they're going to come down to the wire today. They haven't, you know, that qualifying offer. I have to give that long and hard thought about whether that, that, that sounds like a pretty good paycheck for, uh, you probably will turn it down, but that sounds like a pretty good paycheck for, for 2016 from Daniel Murphy. He won't join uh, Colby Rasmus? We'll see. It'll be interesting to see. But thank you, everyone, for the download. Do remind you again, BaseballAmerica.com. You can slash subscribe. You can get all of the top tens. We're right now wrapping up the NL Central. We're in the middle of the NL Central. Pirates top ten just went up. Very good top ten. We'll be moving on to the NL West before long. We will be uh, rolling along. We're just going to keep rolling them out. You know, we have the chats with that. We got the early draft preview top hundreds. We'll be coming before too long for college and uh, High school, we just did all the recruiting coverage. We can check out Teddy's recruiting coverage and everything. A lot of stuff there. Baseballamerica.com slash store. You can check out the books. It's the middle of the book season. We finished, we basically finished one in the almanac. Calendars wrapped up. We also have the prospect handbook, which we're in the midst of, of doing. Are we doing that this year? I know. <laughs> have, you, have you noticed that? Uh, I know we are. You know we are, because it's uh, it, it it haunts our dreams. It's about to get crazy. It uh, it's a fun book. It's especially a fun book to read. There are times that the production of it is not so fun. But thank everyone for the download and the listen. We'll be back again next week for Matt Eddy, Josh Norris, Teddy Cahill. I'm JJ Cooper. So long, everybody. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.